0: Dun, 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 Welcome to a hard stop edition of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave Rupert <laughs> with me
1: is Chris Goyer. Hey Chris, how are you doing today? Oh, it's weird to be a, an adult. Oh. No, live by this stupid calendar.
0: Oh man, today is like the worst. Some for some reason, everyone decide we record these on Thursday. I guess typically just so we can get them edited by the excellent editor Chris Enns. Shout out to Chris. But uh, and then. But everyone wants to meet on Thursday, Chris. I don't understand it. They, oh. they all, everyone
1: on the planet decides. Yeah, let's there's something Thursday. about the not Friday ness of Thursday that people like. Yes. Yeah, I'm some taking good Friday capture. off. That's what I'm doing. Oh, oh, heck yeah. yeah! Where are you headed? Yeah. Are
0: you, you, yeah, going yeah. up a mountain or something? To,
1: uh, a little further this time. We're going to go to the aquarium in 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 um, <laughs> Monterey. Which is a little plane ride for us.
0: Oh wow! Okay, okay. South
1: San Francisco, a little, yeah, fancy town. They have like this world class aquarium, and we're kind of like aquarium people. It turns out. Hey, so be safe. We're both long past our vax, so let's do it. Vax and go.
0: Nice. Well, yeah, we have some summer travels, uh, family. Uh, mm-hmm. called for a summit, uh, <laughs> you know, a family. Yeah. They, well, I had an aunt pass away this week and, or not, not this week, but this year. And um, she was great. But then, you know, everyone just was like, you know, let's have a big meeting at my uncle Tom's ranch in Colorado, which I think he's selling. So I think it's going to go away. And so, uh, so we're going up there and then we're going to go uh, visit my wife's family. And so it's kind of like a, Travel America kind
1: of road yeah, trip and we've done that before. That's this seems like the Rupert family classic trip, really.
0: I wish it wasn't, but yeah, we we've logged <laughs> some we've logged yeah. some hours. We are we are the plan is to fly right in uh fly into uh Denver and save about mm, 34 hours driving. So, uh, Oh (laughs) yeah,
1: dude, that's like not optional in my book. Really?
0: Yeah. I just like, it would be cool to like road trip it and,
1: and uh,
0: you know, in Phoenix, there's like
1: the raw hours savings. And then there's like the difference of what those hours are like too. Cause when you fly, like there is absolutely a bunch of stress involved with it too. But there's all this time where you're like, all of you are just like sitting in a row of chairs and you're mm-hmm. not having to like just stare at the road, nobody bother dad or mom or whatever. Like mm-hmm. that's like different. Like the, you can like go over to the little store over there. That's probably some, the name of the newspaper in the city that you're in for some reason, but it all itself is like <laughs> it Coke is. and pencils. <laughs>
0: it's called The Statesman. Wow. Um, you're right. <laughs> Coke, pencils, baby books, uh, and lots of. Coffee mugs and and candles, I guess. Yeah, I don't know why they yeah, sell like candles. Neck at pillows
1: airport. and magazines and stuff. Remember when we were going to do a magazine podcast? That was fun.
0: Oh, we should we should bring that up. I remember the old prepper segment. Yeah. Oh boy, that turned it. out weird for twenty twenty. twenty, didn't
1: it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I should have listened to our own freaking advice. Is I know. I
0: needed done? a knife that was also like a hammer. That was. Uh,
1: I should have listened. <laughs> I got a people magazine in the mail, like from the neighbors or whatever. Okay. Okay. But they were neighbors just that a- I know don't live there anymore. So it's kind of like there's nobody to return it to. And I was just like, ah, magazines. What a delight.
0: Free magazine, idiots. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's great. And yeah, I don't even want to know. I don't know famous people. I'm really bad at
1: famous people. So. Yeah, you'd be uh, surprised, you know, some of these BuzzFeed lists you end up scrolling through, you're like, don't know that person, what, who's that, what, are you famous? That person?
0: Oh Especially my God, when it I...
1: comes to music, then I'm really clueless, which is embarrassing. But... Uh, yeah, no, I'm the worst. Uh, send in your questions, please. Uh, go to shoptalkshow.com, click that, think, and it's not just a question, it could be just some topic you think is interesting and worth covering and want to hear on the show. That would be great. Uh, let's do some questions cause we just have some cause people have done that, which is great. Sh- Sam Warnick writes in, um, we've had other shows on this, so Sam, we won't dwell on it too long, but I do think you phrased the question. Well, could you explain the shadow Dom? I've tried to figure it out, but it, it hasn't clicked yet. I've been able to figure out that it's like the Dom, but more shadowy. Mm, So mm, what's the mm, deal? mm. Like, how do you, how does CSS interact with it? What problem is it trying to solve? Is it good or bad? Ooh, yeah. Um, So I have a talk on
0: this um, about web components. Um, The way I think of the shadow DOM is it's an egg, right? (laughs) And I I know the metaphors are really labored, but uh, everything inside the egg is the shadow DOM and everything outside of it is the light DOM. Um, and there's a little wall around the insides and the outsides. Right. And, and what does this wall do? This wall is the shadow boundary or the eggshell. And it prevents the stuff inside from leaking to the outside, such as styles, but, you know, maybe even like, um, some like JavaScript stuff. Um, but like the, the,
1: Stuff inside doesn't just shoot out to the outside, so you if you goes both ways right this so from the outside from the light Dom can you query selector inside for elements that are in the shadow Dom uh no
0: no you can't right? query selector inside the shadow Dom, but you in within the egg you can query
1: selector things in the
0: egg you know so. yeah,
1: which is cool because then your query selector inside doesn't accidentally select something on the outside either so it's Mm -hmm. it's like you can't reach in but the not reaching out is kind of a a bonus there can you write a css selector from the outside that reaches inside
0: no there there's little tricks there's like a handful of tricks like there's stuff called i think we've covered this before but inheritable styles font face stuff like that stuff that would bleed into like an iframe you know
1: oh i don't know that it would font family won't bleed into an iframe well maybe if you put seamless on it but
0: oh well
1: like like
0: font family serif like when that that i feel like that would go through but maybe you're right like but maybe a custom font face wouldn't okay well anyway um anyway so like you have there's some colors and fonts kind of in theory go through this boundary uh, CSS variables are also something that bleeds through this boundary. Yeah, things uh, inherit through it. You just can't select through it. Right. So that's something I think we uh,
1: can, um, I don't know. I, I think that's there's things that go through it. That's good. People, this is on purpose, Sam. Like people set these things up in web components because they want that. Maybe they call it encapsulation or scoping or whatever. It's really unique browsers can do it no javascript framework can really do that if they pretend to it's because they fake it somehow or something but this is like real true kind of encapsulation and it's been desirable for a long time like i want to make this component i want to be sure that it's it's easier to author theoretically because i'm not so worried about outside influence and it will work on in you know in in adversarial situations because of that encapsulation it's like stronger by itself it's kind of a good thing there's pl- we've critiqued it a thousand times on the show because you know there are problems with that encapsulation too it's just it's hard and cumbersome to work with sometimes i do want to also point out that it's not just a web component concept it probably comes up the most for web components because for the well not the first time but for a big a big time you can author it you can make it your own shadow dom the first but it's not like totally unique to existing in browsers another kind of shadow dom is imagine something like a a color picker a native color input or a file picker or something if you inspect that in the web inspector you'll just see input type equals file It'll just be there and you're like, mm. but clearly there's some stuff in there. There's a button and a file name sitting right next to it, but you don't get to see that. Well, guess what? It's because it's inside a shadow DOM. Mm-hmm. Like you, it's like locked in there. So the browser already had this kind of existing concept of like hiding some implementation details of things away from you the developer and then it would come up in svg a lot too because you know for example there's this use element that i was hot on for like years which is like set up these svg symbols and then use the symbol well when you use that it would like clone the symbol and put it inside a new svg element and if you looked in the dev tools guess what it was it was in a shadow dom that's how the browser implemented it. So we've been, if you're aware of that concept, it is literally the same thing. Yeah. And and the thing about shadow
0: DOM too, is you can pass light DOM into it via this thing called slots, you know? Um, so in web components, there's templates and slot are kind of part of the same API. Uh, so, so the shadow DOM is able to render light DOM content within it, which makes it, that's what makes it kind of different than like an iframe. Cause in my brain, a shadow, the shadow DOM, like it's a little fence around your code stuff. Doesn't go in and out unless you like explicitly kind of have a way to do that. Um, but uh, one thing you can't like pass content into an iframe. I mean, there may be a way with like source doc or some weird thing, but anyway, you can't pass like content into a light DOM or into an iframe. And that's where like Shadow DOM allows that. So um that's kind of cool. So Yeah. It, right. I think it's it's misunderstood because it's confusing. If you're confused, yes, because it's confusing as hell. Like it's weird that we can like kind of make these like untouchable pieces of code, but then like you can see it in your web inspector, but it doesn't behave like the rest of your code. That's weird. It is weird. But I think we're, I, I think I, I say in my talk, you know, this was very immature stuff and it's finally kind of mature. So we can kind of finally, I think it's, I think it's ready for broader audiences now, just in the year 2021. I, I don't think it, until last year, I don't think it was a broad tool. I know some places like uh, Salesforce have been building design systems and web components since 2018, you know, a uh, uh, red uh, sorry, Red Hat uh, has their Patternfly elements. They've been doing it for a long time. Um, so people are doing it. But I think like for mass consumption, it was only until very recently um, that, yeah.
1: that it we'll was. We'll see more of it in coming years for sure. When you don't need to kind of frameworkize them, I think that will be even more compelling to see stuff in it. Or because the story then has been though, like even though these are web components, we know those don't solve all dx problems so you can put a react component over it or inside of it or something which is very weird and i think maybe Mm -hmm. we'll see Mm -hmm. less of that because it'll be kind of just feel like i don't know just use the component should be fine
0: (laughs) yeah no i i you kind of one quote i have ascribed to you chris is like Web components are the only thing with Shadow DOM. You know, React and Vue and Svelte don't really use it right now. You know,
1: uh, I guess no, in theory, they'll fake some stuff like scope styles, but they're not real Shadow
0: DOM. Well, yeah, I'm just kind of thinking like they could, in theory, do that. You could make a Shadow Root, <laughs> like React component that just only operates in the Shadow Root. It's probably going to mess people up, but you know, in theory, you could use that, you know. Um, uh, so I wonder if, if, you know, and, and that's kind of funny too. Like all these styles, style components, all these styling tools we have for scoping styles and stuff could all, honestly, kind of be shadow stuff.
1: Like just because, yeah, maybe. But I prefer the scope styles, especially because uh, Miriam I know is working on it. And I'm mm, like, if you yeah, can just yeah. bring scope styles to just regular ass CSS, then that's what I want. So please bring me that
0: yeah I, I i told her uh you know just do what view does <laughs> put, put, put view in the browser and that's more or less you know i think was the original
1: but tip. they won't have to because i think view adds data attributes or style or class names or yeah, something yeah. so like don't yeah, do that but like don't do, do what that, it otherwise do what that does from the
0: programming ergonomic bring that
1: ergonomic in. And that's what. yeah it you know, is it mentally to me, remember a hundred years ago, there was like a prototype in the browser of this. And the idea was that you would put style with a scoped attribute on it inside a DOM element. It could be in a div. Yeah. Then those mm-hmm. styles just apply to that div and do not go above it. There was mm-hmm. something so beautifully ergonomic about that. It just made sense. And that just yeah. died for some reason. I I still think of it because I'm like, that was clever. That was a good way to do it.
0: It it, it, kind of, it worked, and then let me see here. Who's well, my wheel? Oh, blame
1: Safari. Oh yeah, there you go, killing it,
0: <laughs> killing the cool
1: stuff. So, um, good good stuff there. You know, I this is just deep in the weeds, so ignore us from here on, Sam. But it, it, think of this, Dave. There's like a uh, let's say you're going to use view or Svelte or React or whatever JavaScript framework to pl- to handle your DOM for you because it's got some DOM handling stuff built in. And then you put a, a Dave, bu- Dave dash button in there, a native web component. Well, when you tell one, that JavaScript framework to render that to the page, you got to be a little careful about if it's going to chew up any of the attributes on it or not. Because some of those libraries are like, oh, you, you know, if you put data size equals small on it'll be like oh i see that belongs in the dom so i'm gonna put it there class names Mm -hmm. belong in the dom other aria controls belong in the dom but if you just pass in like size equals small it'll be like oh no that's a prop not an attribute. I'm just uh, going to yeah, disappear yeah. it from the DOM when I render it totally because that's not what you meant. You don't mean for it to show up in the DOM. But in a web component, you'd be like, "I, excuse me, I totally did mean it for it to be in the DOM. And if it's missing, it's not going to work. So can you not do that, please? Like view will, if you have like whatever size, whatever or sizes is big
0: equals false or something, that's a terrible name, but it'll just delete false values, you know? Like it won't... Oh, there's that too. So so I wonder if there's an issue there if you had a Boolean prop, you know, web component.
1: Or like if the thing has a dash in it, because web components are uniquely identifiable because they must have a dash in them. You'd think Mm -hmm. these libraries Mm -hmm. could be like, oh, this component has a dash in it. So I'm going to leave all the attributes on it. It would be cool. (laughs) I don't... Yeah, I, I haven't, you know, in theory... View
0: notably React is kind of the the big outlier for letting you use web components. Um, yeah, I would say so, I think, and it's all about that this props situation. Um, uh, views felt they're very like web component um, compatible, uh, Angular too, um, because Polymer very much looked like Angular, you know, back in the day. Uh, But I think there's actually, because I remember Scott Gell was working on the Ingoer site, wanted to use web components, just had a bit of a problem getting it all working. But I think it does work, but it was not the best, uh, easiest experience. Um, uh, So I like, and then there's stuff on the web component side. Like if you write your stuff in stencil, you write a web component stencil from Ionic uh, is smart enough to kind of like, oh, you want to spit this out as a React component, we can actually make that a React component. So you can, like, author your web components and then spit out React or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's kind of different ways to solve these fitting, you know, these, like, fit problems. Um, uh, But it would be cool, I don't know, just to see (laughs) where the next wave of kind of frameworks are that might just
1: support web components, uh, yeah, next box, wave, you know? let's have them. I bet Astro let's does do a good job, but I won't derail us like that. Um, well, in
0: Astro, you know, the, I guess one problem too is like a lot of frameworks and components have moved over to server-side rendering, right? Mm-hmm. Like like you are able to, whatever, uh, react DOM to string or whatever. Um, web components just got this thing called declarative shadow DOM where you kind of like where you write that scope style in the thing, you can write a template inside your web component, like my but, Dave button, Dave dash button. And then I have a template that says shadow root open, because that's just, and then you can kind of server render. And it has all my markup for my template inside there. Um, so you can declarative shadow DOM and render server side, like the browser Chrome, I assume, is able to like pick that up and be like, okay, cool. I can actually you gave me a template, I can render that, like, without any JavaScript. Uh, I can all? render that from the server, yeah. Nice. Um, but is it dynamic yet? Not yet. So do you, you know?
1: process it ahead of time? You Probably, right? Like, you have to... Um, yeah, um... I mean, I guess you could pre-process um, that, but then... Or does it duplicate it? Let's say you have a web component that's five buttons and they appear five times on the page. Do you have to put that template in all five of them?
0: Sadly, yes. You have to duplicate the template and your boy, Dave Rupert commented on the thread. This is clown shoes, but I didn't win. So <laughs> I think it's about, it's one of those what's easy thing. You know? Well that's
1: fair. And also that like maybe a lot of people like pre render it. So they're not hand authoring those five things. It's just like some kind of compiler is blasting that out. Right.
0: I think that's it too, is people are like, No one's gonna hand author this, and then I'm like, <laughs> actually Dave Rupert would be here. Yeah. <laughs> so Yeah. They're like, Yeah, well, we're not building the web for Dave Rupert,
1: although they should they should. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Netlify. High five, Netlify. Y'all are always doing cool things. Have you seen their new deploy previews that has the feedback feature on there that was powered by Feature Peak, which they acquired? Pretty darn cool way to integrate feedback on on deploy previews you know like hey go take a look at this and leave some comments or whatever if you if you there's things that you need to see change before this goes live and those things can be configured to like go right to GitHub issues but that person you sent it to they don't have to even know GitHub exists doesn't matter that's pretty cool I would I would subscribe to the Netlify blog they are prolific bloggers and they talk about this kind of thing on there but they all the articles they have really high quality stuff on there and it's not just like here's what's new at Netlify, there's here's what's new in the industry and here's what's new about the Jamstack philosophy and that kind of thing. So there's an article just as I look now about Web Core vitals, the new big thing that everybody cares about at Google because it's all about web performance. Well, there's stuff in there about why you should care about it, but you know why that matters to Jamstack as well. Pretty darn cool. Uh, an article here about uh, Nuxt Image, which is great. These a lot of these static site generators have really powerful image plugins that like take your core image and make all the versions of them and add all the right attributes that are the best things for performance and host them in the right way for you and all that. Some of those things do like 50 things for you. It's incredible uh, uh, how it is. Cassie's got an article about React 18. That's my favorite one that I've read so far because it's it actually explains what's actually new and that you actually need to care about for React 18. There's actually one kind of big change about the, the render function and how that works with create re- root now in react 18 that's that's worth kind of knowing about and not to mention that suspense is out of alpha or whatever it was so that's kind of a big deal because so i was kind of using it anyway Ooh. anyway nullify is always doing good stuff they're writing good stuff they're they're a tremendous host so thanks for the support Speaking of browser stuff, there's this thing called LayoutNG in Chromium that's like, we're going to rewrite everything kind of thing. But it's like a years-long super process that's broken into chunks, I guess. this I, I only kind of know this because... I feel like I should know this for one thing, like we're like browser people spend all day talking about browsers. And sometimes it's like a big surprise when browsers are like undergoing major changes. I do feel like there is like a weird disconnect from the people that write browsers and make these features actually happen for us. And even all that excitement and stuff when they come out and the us developers ourselves, like, is it just because they write different languages or it's just like feels weird after all these years? It's kind of like, and then somebody behind the curtain makes the feature happen and we all applaud.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny. It's like, cause there's no, I mean, there's a roadmap and there's probably a public thing, but we don't know,
1: you know, unless you're digging or, you know, yeah. I don't know. So the one of the chunks of, Layout ng was tables ng, which just dropped because I was, I published some post, you know, months ago, something about sticky table headers and footers and even columns. And the deal is you can literally use position sticky on table cells, even before layout ng, which is kind of funky and weird. But if you select all the cells in a column and put left zero position sticky, they'll stick. If you select all the table header, cells in a header and say top zero or bottom zero with position sticky they'll stick you know you got to think about you got to think about z index and what goes over what and how it looks and feels and stuff and it's tricky to pull off but it's doable this and then but you know the comment was this is a bug the fact that you can't select just the row or t head Mm -hmm. or whatever to do this that's the bug because firefox can do that Oh, Safari even yeah. can do that. It's just Chrome couldn't. And it turned out Chrome's tables rendering stuff was way behind, and tables NG was some rewrite of tables. Very cool. And there's, speaking of like the communication between browser developers and kind of like the outside world or whatever, the other developers, there's like a Google Doc that explains it all, which you don't, I don't mm-hmm. feel like you often see, you know? Sometimes it's like a a spec or something they point to, but this one's just a Google doc. Uh, I'll Mm -hmm. get pasted in the Mm -hmm. chat and it just explains all the different stuff. It's not just about making things sticky. It's just, that's what was on my mind because I had just tried it recently, but there's stuff about how like borders paint over each other. That was like Mm -hmm. different between browsers and stuff. Uh, Just kind of interesting. So new tables though. I've I've, new tables.
0: Could you imagine like working on this code? It was very much, very possibly written in the '90s by like five browser engines ago,
1: you know, um, and it's probably pretty gnarly. Uh, very, I'm sure. But I wonder if it's. I wonder. I'm sure some people kind of find it fun, you know. Like this is there's a there's a very clear like spec that we need to follow, and there's clear outcomes, and it's kind of has a visual nature to it. So you can write some code, you know, refresh the browser, and kind of see. Did the code do what it's supposed to do? Are all these surely 20 million edge cases (laughs) accounted for, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Uh, But it's like that kind of developer work can be satisfying that like, this is a story I need to make happen. There's a clear path from nothing to success and I can achieve it. Well, and I'm sure there's like so much
0: that's better. Like even just like text layout passes and, Just even micro crap, we don't even think about, you know, that you're just like able to be like, I'm going to put the new text machine in there, you know, and yeah, yeah. We don't pick up on it, but that's amazing for the browser, you know?
1: You know, it must Um, feel like that. Like on CodePen, we still have some jQuery. Not everywhere. Law pages don't have any at all, but you know, there's just legacy stuff. You know, like it's a big mm-hmm. app, and there's lots of areas, and some stuff is still in jQuery, and some stuff is railed by rendered by Rails still and stuff. And we're moving away from that, and it's not it's not like the top priority. It's not like this week we'll remove this amount of jQuery. It's like not that's mm-hmm. not how we think. You know, we're like let's work on a feature. Let's work on something somebody cares about, but our goal is to reduce that stuff and so like there was a cool mock-up for a part of this future thing that we're building and it turns out hey we could actually backport that to the something of today and by virtue of doing that people get the new experience sooner and And it's written in our new stack, not the old stack. So we got to rip out old code. I bet, doesn't it seem like it would feel like that? Like that Mm -hmm. just, the users don't care about our ripping out old code, but I do. It feels good. And I'm sure to these developers, it feels good to rip out code that nobody thinks about, nobody touches with new code that's probably better tested and is more in the minds of Yeah, you just have
0: some... Whatever helper library that makes it so much easier. And that's just that easy. So, yeah. yeah. What's your process uh, switching gears uh, for yeah. CodePen? Like, like when you identify, oh, that page is old, like that template's old, what do y'all do? do? Does it just go in the
1: that would be nice to fix it up bucket? Or is there like, does it get on yeah, the roadmap? As or- if there's like multiple you know, things tend to get done if, you, if we could point to like multiple things that would all benefit from the feature kind of thing. Like there was some, you know, some payment related work that we wanted to do um, for a long time, but it required like some data changes to like shore things up in a better kind of backend data driven way. And there's like, Hey, maybe we could like improve our APIs and use some new technology that we're moving towards anyway. And what if we could like reactize this form and make it like more reusable and we have some pro members that are like incorrect in our database that we need to correct and that would be an opportunity to reach out to them and tell them what's wrong with the account and apologize and fix it and stuff. There's like five things at once. That's actually not a feature we would run away from. That's when we would pick up because it's like, oh, this is going to have benefit all over the place. Whereas I don't think anybody would just open a page and be like, that's old. Let's new it. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. that's not like enough to act on it. For example, maybe you don't even know this about CodePen, but because it's a it's like tier two feature, I guess, unless you use embedded pens a lot, you can stylize your custom pens by adding custom CSS to them or picking uh, a dark or light theme or whatever. But we also have this whole area of the app called the Embed Theme Builder, which is a thing like a no-code version of like, what color do you want that bar to be? What about the buttons? What do you want, what about the border? What color do you want the border to be? And you Mm -hmm, select mm -hmm. all these options and then save a theme. It goes into a database it's one of the pages on the site that we is just rails everything like jQuery powers these little dropdowns rails renders this output it doesn't use any of our design patterns that we've built up like this page is begging begging to to come into 2021 with us but like does anybody like is this do people deeply care about this page is it highly used by users no is it You know, like to spend some time on this page, it'll be a little satisfying, but not as much as like, you know, the work is just very A to B. Rewrite page, deploy. There's not a lot of like deep benefits to this page. So it's not even on the roadmap at the moment. It absolutely will get done because something else will kind of force its hand. Have you ever had a feature like that where you're like, oh, but we want to put this routing at the root and this page is still an old style page. So it's a blocker for something else we want to do. So we got to knock over that page first and then we can do this other thing. It's more, that's likely what it's going to be. It's not going to be, let's do this project. It's going to be like, this is a blocker for another project.
0: Yeah, it would be like, we're going to change from CodePen embed from an iframe to a web component or something. And then, okay, that's like, we got to do more, so...
1: Yeah, that, that could be it. And I think there would kind of be some benefits to that. I, Twitter literally did that at one time, and then it was totally backed off. I remember talking to a dev from Twitter about it, which basically they didn't even remember that period because it was so short-lived and didn't work out. But I remember it being clever at the time <laughs> because it was like uh, iframes have an inherent cost I can't you know it's a cost in like white frame jankiness it's a cost it's just like the browser's got to spin up a little website in there and with all that kind of flashy grossness that I frame you know I'm sure they try to do a good job but it's just not as good as something mm-hmm. a native element that's on the page web components are just faster even if what's inside of it is largely the same it's going to like feel better as a web
0: component even just the post message Requirement to you have to hook into the main page and hook into the the element to measure that to get the
1: height like like that's that's jank um and that's like oh, that's old as time that one how big is the page that i'm iframing could the iframe on the outside be as tall as it is that's a pretty common one and yeah you got to post message back and forth to even get that to work at all Or unless you're on iOS and then the iframe is as automatically as tall as the content inside it and cannot be moved up or down. And it's absolutely awful. Oh, how could that go wrong? I don't know why that isn't like more talked about as the worst thing ever, but it is to me, especially as somebody who has user authored content in iframes, which we cannot control. Turns out the answer is largely to just put it in a div and size the div. And then if the iframe overflows it, then so be it. You then scroll it, which generally works fine because of the way the iframe will pass the scroll event up to the parent and scroll it, thank God.
0: Yeah,
1: yowzers, uh, though. Yowsers. Yeah, yowsers y- indeed. When your like, core product is is a series of iframes
0: sitting in here.
1: That yeah it kind uh, of is there is literally two iframes deep in an embed because the whole thing is an iframe and then the preview of the code you wrote is an iframe in there yeah and it just kind of that's just how it has to be and we try to i think performance wise we are, we do pretty darn well with these things like we take that seriously there's no jquery in there there's no tracking scripts there's no it's just as light as can be we wrote it in vanilla javascript what very little we needed to do
0: I remember nice. learning about iframes in about 2001, and I was like, wait, I can put a frame inside the page and control it? Like, uh, like I can just link to a page inside the frame? And I, I, I abused the hell out of it. But it was so magical when it came out. I just, I remember, like, almost the day i learned it
1: and it was just i wonder what day do you think iframes dropped i have no idea i don't know i don't know but i mean i worked at wufu for a long time whose business not for a long time for a short time but it was my it was it was formative for me their business model was iframes i mean if if iframes didn't exist i don't know you know that would have been a much weirder world you know the point of it is make a form put it on your website but like if it's not an iframe, there's going to be so many problems with that that could go wrong. Whereas an iframe is just like, oh, it looks perfectly beautiful on your website. <laughs> Great.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. First introduced by Microsoft Internet Explorer in 1997. Standardized in HTML 4.0 transitional.
1: Dang, I was definitely smoking a cigarette behind the bowling alley in
0: 1997. So <laughs> I was, yeah, I mean... uh Running around with homeless Kirk and uh, <laughs> just driving around going to punk rock shows, but hey, the, yeah, I just I I think it was probably like ninety eight or maybe even two thousand two
1: thousand one where I figured it out and it was just right. like
0: this is awesome.
1: Isn't it's one frank, of the funny yeah. legacy things that they're three hundred pixels wide by one hundred and fifty pixels tall unless you and that was like huge,
0: you know, like on my <laughs> ten twenty or what my six eighty by four eighty display.
1: You That'd know, be one of those UA styles that like, I think you all could just change it. Like, I I don't think there's like compatibility issues with that. Although you'd have to ask Mike Taylor, but I feel like they could just be a hundred percent wide. Like, why can't we do yeah, that? I wonder.
0: Um, yeah. It's kind of funny. Um, there's this interesting, maybe I'm, I should maybe <laughs> pause this. Uh, like we can rip this out if it doesn't come out well. Uh, like, so some people who use screen readers, you know they're fully blind so they literally just rip the, the display off their laptop and they just use a keyboard right like it's just it, the display could be totally broken yeah. um and so like when their browser shows up in the on the analytics it's like 300 by 150 or whatever because they don't have a screen even you know oh, so like they, right. they just basically are like i don't even have a screen so uh but you know most people use a full screen and have some kind of vision but it's really it's interesting like i hadn't really ever thought of that you know just like oh, they just literally turn their screen off and it doesn't have anything and so that I, i'm impressed i don't know it's but i think it creates some problems because not everyone figured out how to i don't know uh, you make some assumptions about things that small so
1: Anyway, this makes me think of a story that's worth telling uh, about CodePen embeds and iframes. Uh, and this came from Heather Burns, who wrote a blog post about this for equal entry, which I think is a probably a, you know, they're like experts at accessibility and you hire them to do stuff, probably. Do they it, it. had emailed us about CodePen embeds because there was some problem, you know, like they're like, this is this fails some accessibility test or something Uh, and I was like well that's important to us we're going to look into all those things and there was like a bunch of little problems and we were able to kind of knock them over one by one and they were pretty pleased with the outcome so that was cool one of them is that you know you're tabbing through a page or through the not, not it doesn't it's not always tabbing right you can explore all kinds of ways in a screen reader by region and header and headings region
0: buttons links at all different kinds.
1: Imagine you're tabbing through. You will be sent into a CodePen embeds iframe like this this second level deep to explore what the result is. I think we maybe had that turned off for a minute because it would be kind of a focus trap. You know, iframes can have that Mm -hmm. effect, you know. But it turns out, you know, you you tab through an iframe to the bottom, you kind of come out the other side of the iframe. So I think that's Mm -hmm. generally how it works. That's good. So I think we removed that so you can get in there now. But some embeds have just tons. We have no idea what's going to be in that iframe. It's user-generated content. So we implemented this thing where if if you're tabbing through an embed, you know, have you ever seen one of those skip to content links at the very top of a web page? Surely you have. You've probably implemented it a hundred times. Yeah. But you, yeah. there, sometimes the, the the recommendation is to make it visible once it's tabbed to, but it's otherwise invisible. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. we did that for the embed. So if as you're tabbing through an embed, you'll tab onto a button that says result, which is the toggle for turning the result on and off. And if you tab one more time, a button will just appear out of nowhere visually. It was always there for a screen reader, you know. And it will say skip results iframe. And all it does is move your focus down past the iframe, i-frame. and allows you t- to the other things. Do that do the other stuff that way you got, you know, you had the opportunity at least to avoid tabbing through that entire iframe. you know? Right. Well, and I, you know, that's cool. Cause yeah, those things
0: can be, you know, It could be miles and miles long. I mean, it could be really bad. So,
1: and they were happy with that. It seems cool to me. And it was, it didn't require any technology, like advanced fancy handling of focus and stuff, because it's a link and it links to another link that's past the (laughs) iframe. You know, it's not all accessibility problems have like an HTML solution. It's like, if I feel like accessibility is often very weird like that, although you know 10 times more about accessibility than I do, there's sometimes there's like this color should be five percent deeper okay problem solved it's like a one line fix and it goes a long way and then some accessibility problems are like you need to trap the focus in this modal and it's the hardest problem ever good luck you know they go from very easy to very hard very quick that's in
0: another talk of mine called log jams um (laughs) you know i not all issues are created equal you know and so you can't just hand like a bucket of accessibility issues to a developer and be like, good luck. You know, you almost have to break them up by difficulty and, and, you know, start people out on easy stuff, like good first issues, you know? Yeah. And and then that's probably like your contrast and your button labels and your alt text and stuff like that. And then move people up in, in the like challenge domain, you know, like just, just progressively increase the difficulty. And that's like, you know stuff i don't think people you know really understand or even not even just challenge like alt text is like almost anyone can do that you know it almost doesn't even need a developer you know um but then you get into like contrast well hey now you need kind of a developer and a designer kind of involved like working together right uh because you know i i don't know I don't think my dudes. Yeah. You
1: can't just go around being like, I'm just going to darken this color. And it's a one-off darkening. That's like not part of any system. And yeah. Yeah.
0: Like that's not good. That doesn't make happy coworkers, you know? So then you, all right, well, cool. And then, you know, uh, now and then you get into the cognitive issues like sometimes like you you put a button like a toggle and it controls stuff above it right so if i click the toggle you know uh, as a non-sighted person or even as somebody with cognitive disabilities like um you know you could think autism or mr or something like that um you, you would you're kind of like, well, what'd that button do? I have no idea. Cause that, what you changed was maybe off screen even, you know? So you have these cognitive issues where like the thing below the thing. So that's a whole UX refactor. Like you have to like redesign the component entirely. So like that, that's a huge challenge level, you know? So I think just people don't quite put that into consideration or if like somebody's like, okay, horizontal scroll is bad and i in my experience different <laughs> accessibility people will give you different opinions on that you know um so you kind of have to go with your what your team says um like y- you uh, you know you do horizontal scroll um you know if you have to rip that out that that changes everything you know so
1: anyway hmm. it's uh it's all very interesting it's interesting how the easiest Accessibility problems to detect are somewhat mapped to easiness to fix. I know there's nuance that you talked about with looping in designers and stuff, but yeah, it's those ones that are hard to detect that are the they're that they're hard for a reason. The good news
0: is Glenda uh, Sims uh, Goodwitch uh, did like some deq studies and stuff like that. Like looked at all the deq re- reports, axe reports, and stuff like that, and uh from from what a accessibility test can detect it's only about 20% of accessibility errors but that represents something like 57% of all accessibility problems so it can only detect a little bit of access but like the bulk of accessibility issues on a website or an audit are these, the, the testable ones. So the majority. And then if you add in this kind of manual testing that some of these things have, we've talked about this before, I think, but if you add in manual testing now you're into this 80% range and um, like, that's really pretty cool to think like, Oh, I could be 80% accessible if I just kind of follow what ax dev tools or accessibility insights is kind of telling me to do.
1: So Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Dexacure, a company that saves developers
0: time by automating mundane tasks that you all hate to do, but have to do. Images, JavaScript, CSS, HTML, fonts, and third-party assets. Dexacure does the optimization with just one line of code, and you can focus on what you love doing, building new and exciting websites. And it's super easy to implement, just one line of code needed for integration, or they've got a plugin if you're using WordPress. No matter the device or browser type, Dexacure will always have the best
1: version of your website, you can visit decksecure.com slash Shop Talk Podcast. That's D E X E C U R E dot com slash shop talk podcast for
0: one month free when you sign up for any basic or pro plan. Or try it out for free with their free account. Our thanks to Dexecure for sponsoring this episode of Shop Talk Show.
1: got one to throw at you just because it feels thematically related in a way too is that I saw one of those kind of classics on Twitter where it was even my fault because I retweeted it and the the pen had um, kind of like a marquee bar at the top of it so it moved you know and a tweet reply was hey really be careful please like don't just tweet stuff like that you got to put a content warning on the demo because it has movement and it could cause problems i mean you've had you, too much movement i've heard you say it gives you sick sickness you know yeah
0: vestibular yeah. disorders is kind of what you're looking for
1: so yeah yeah so fair enough right um is it you know there's a thing in css called prefers reduced motion i think you can tap into it in javascript too. it's a media query that mm-hmm. asks your operating system or whatever the next highest power may be i think um If 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 their setting is to prefer reduced motion and it gives you a chance to honor that. Is that a good API in the world? Absolutely. Of course it is. That's great. You should do your work as a developer to honor that setting. But I think of someone with this disorder if it's you know, if it's a problem for them. It's them versus the internet, you know? It's like them versus millions and millions of websites that didn't know about that API, that don't use that API, were created before that API ever existed. Like, the odds are against you, sadly. Doesn't that suck? So Mm -hmm. if it's very important to you, what are your options? Is there, like, browser extensions and such that will just save you from that? That rather than, like, they could inject stuff... Into the websites that's, you know, star selector animation, none important. Don't do it. Don't show me anything. Is that a thing that people use, or is it is it just not I don't of
0: know. That, that would be kind of cool, like, you know, this kind of gets into light mode, dark mode for me, too. It'd be cool if I I could control it at the browser level, like, turn it on and off, you know? Um, I guess I can in DevTools, but, like, more like a like, if I could turn on like a no barf button on, like, in my extensions or something like that, that would be pretty cool. Um, You know, the, the problem with like wiping, like that's like the nuclear option, right? Like I have to wipe out all animations and stuff like that. The the important thing to realize is like some of this stuff is not like if you like fade something in like a, an opacity transition or
1: like a little bit of movement. It can literally break stuff. Like if you have a one of those pages where you scroll down and everything's fading in on you, well, if you turned yeah. off all animations, maybe you get a white page. That would suck. I'd I've definitely seen page. the snippet ha- I've seen is animation timing or animation duration, I think it is, is like 0.001 second important. So rather than removing mm-hmm. the animation, you make the duration instant, essentially. That'd be cool,
0: yeah, I mean that I mean that seems like a good
1: move, and it also matters because JavaScript can tap into those apis and say like on animation end, then show payment button or whatever, and if you wipe out the animation again, that event never fires, you broke the website, so yeah, so unfortunately, you create like an
0: otherism thing, you know, like if if you're adding oh, like, i see like you know, I don't know, like we could take the same approach and be like, well, wow, screen reader people just disable JavaScript. Yeah, we or, we know, built another like, internet for you over we here. We built a different one for y'all, you know, like, so, uh. uh, same with like, I think about video games a lot, you know, um, like the cool, like accessibility in video games is all about offering options to the user. Like let them control the text size, let them control like subtitles on and off, let them control, uh, different things. Um, yeah, a
1: lot of settings in video games, right? A lot
0: of settings of video games, but you know, that's cause they're kind of more advanced. <laughs> and they, You know, the whole thing is just a, a, whatever, marionette of settings, basically.
1: And you're about to spend about 60 hours in the thing. Whereas you're about to spend about 40 seconds on a website, you know, that's a little... right.
0: And so like, I'm not going to configure my best buy settings just cause I'm there. Right. Like, right. Oh, man, I love Best Buy. that should I'm be just... the browser thing. The browser <laughs> that should thing. be on the browser level. I think personally, like, I think there should be a series of settings, like any that I can even turn on and off for that experience right there. That would be cool. If that was a level of something I could do Um that. Yeah. Like I just, I don't know. Nuclear animation dismissal sits kind of wrong with me. Um, right. And same as like wrapping every, animation and prefers reduced motion because like I may want to turn it off because like, Hey, that weird website that goes like diagonal when you scroll <laughs> makes me want to throw up
1: um, and gives me a headache. But like little wavies on stripe.com are chill or something.
0: Yeah. I don't, I I don't want to see those little wavies on stripe.com or something pulsing or something like that. That would be kind of cool,
1: you know, but like, yeah, yeah. Be- yeah. The nuclear level is tough. So you'd only do it if you were like, if you're, If you're, I don't know how you like classify these problems, but I imagine there's some people who have it really bad, who really don't want to see anything move.
0: Some people have seizures, man. I mean, if you think about it that bad, like stuff starts moving on the page, they have a seizure. They're out. That's very, very, very bad. You took an hour of somebody's fucking life because you wanted to be cool on the web. That sucks, you know. Like, so. I'm not cool with that. So anyway, a photovoltaic, like if you're flashing lights or gifts or whatever, that's bad too, you know, like, um, I mean, that can be used in really in sad situations, but like, yeah, I mean, I mean, I just get like a headache, feel a little barfy for a bit, maybe take some Advil. I'm fine, you know, but like, to be honest, I don't think I have anything wrong with me, Chris. I mean, I maybe had a concussion in college, but like, (laughs) I don't. I don't know if that's impacting it, but like, I'm, I'm fairly neurotypical, you know, like I had, I'm just getting older. And when you get older, you're like the crust, the whatever, the stuff in your vestibular canal, which connects your ear to your jaw, which is like all where all your balance comes from. As you get older, that stuff gets harder, right? And so that affects your balance when you get old, old, like that's like why old people fall down is because they don't have good balance because that liquid in between their ear and their jaw hardens up. Jeez. Yeah. I'm not like I need assistive technology. I'm just getting kind of old, you know? So, and, and, and in extreme circumstances, it affects me for other people in non-extreme circumstances, it affects them, you know, but there's, there's some nuance and you got to test with users and stuff like that. But like, if you just like fade something in gently, that's like not a big deal. But if you like slide something in from the side, like that's, that's like, geez, that's dude. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, and, and the, some of that's like, just cause you're like attacking somebody's lizard brain where it's like, if it's moving, I'm going to look at it right? Like <laughs> it moved. Well, I have that's to exactly look at it. it.
1: That's why it's so, that's why it's so effective and, and and can be in the vein of not, not just a joke. You know, like I had, I was working on it. I remember I was bitching about tables the other day and how, like how you can't animate the height of a table cell or right? it just like ignores you. I was putting in that animation, not cause I'm like, ooh, it's animation time. Fire up the fun machine. Woo. It yeah. was because I was clicking delete on a bunch of table rows and they were instantaneously deleting and I didn't, I wasn't quite sure if it worked or not or like what, you know, it didn't tap my lizard brain like I wanted it to. It didn't slide away or have some kind of subtle movement that says, oh, success, that row is being deleted. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, in the end, we ended up just nuking the table semantics altogether. It was kind of questionable whether it should have been a table or not anyway, so I didn't miss it. But I was like, whatever. They turned into just divs and the divs had all the animation possibility in the world world. We got to wrap this up because it's a hard stop edition. But I want to shout. I had a th- one more thing in my note. I was gonna. I was gonna ask Dave about. Um, wappy the web animation api and if dave's using it and stuff or not we're not gonna go there but i want to know if you're going there are you using it people of shop talk show are you into it would you do you use your prefers reduced motion api there in order to not run it how do you feel about it what's up with wappy and you i want to know i i'm currently not on it um but i think the browser support just got there right so i think we're yeah. kind of here so, I've used it twice dang. recently and I was like, dang, this is cool. And I was going to, my quip is that it felt like inline styles for animation. When you're writing in kind of like a JavaScript syntax anyway, you know, you can just like slap a little style attribute on something if you have a one-off. Well, sometimes animations are one-off. It's like a little bit common and you can just slap a wappy on there. And it has a nice API for when I'm done with <laughs> this animation. A slap a wappy, baby. New episode, titles, <laughs> Slap a wappy all right <laughs> okay see you later hey, we'll
0: wrap it up thanks everybody for downloading this back at your show favorite app uh, that's be fine about the show follow us on twitter at shop talk show tens of tweets a month and join us on the discord patreon.com slash shop talk show that's how you get in uh we we uh would love to have you there it's fun it's just downright fun so all right thank you chris you got anything else you like to say yeah